0: and welcome to another episode of the DWZ Rookie Rundown. We are officially on episode 4 of our Oklahoma drill, and you guys know the drill. But this week we have a special guest in here. We have Andrew Erickson from PFF. He's back. Ladies and gentlemen, it's going to be wild. We're talking two big-bodied wide receivers that although there's quite a bit of discrepancy in where they're getting drafted in your rookie drafts this year, their production both in their first year and long-term, might not be as different as you expect it to be. So, Andrew, welcome. Glad to have you back. Are you ready to talk some rookie wide receivers?
1: Yes, Dallas. Thank you for having me back on the show again. I'm Andrew Erickson. I'm on Twitter, at Andrew Erickson underscore from Pro Football Focus. And I'm just excited to talk about these non-Mickey Mouse size wide receivers. <laughs> this class was just filled with slot guy, slot guy, slot guy, 5'10", 180. All over the place, and basically a bunch of Tyreek Hill comparisons. Like, everyone is Tyreek Hill, but with these two receivers, we've actually got some size, some guys that can play on the outside, on the perimeter, which in itself makes them unique in this class, so I'm really excited to dive in.
0: Yeah, and I completely agree. It's funny that you said uh, Minnie Mouse because that was actually the title of my Rondell Moore episode a few weeks back. (laughs) But uh, yeah, we're going to be diving in, guys, if you haven't been able to tell, into the ex-wide receivers of the class. And they didn't get the draft capital that a lot of the first-round wide receivers did. Um, Specifically, we are going to be talking about Terrace Marshall out of LSU, who has been drafted Number 59th overall to the Carolina Panthers and Nico Collins at 89th overall to the Houston Texans. So although they both received second and third round draft capital, respectively, these guys are your true X's, which really you can't even argue that Jamar Chase being the body type that he is, is that prototypical X 6'2 to 6'3 guy that you can just kind of heave it up the Mike Williams the Andre Johnson's the DeAndre Hopkins so it's kind of exciting to find two guys that might have some fantasy relevance for you both in the first year and going forward out of a class like Andrew said filled with a lot of Mickey Mouse Minnie Mouse type guys out of the slot so Andrew, uh, how we do it on here is typically it's pretty stat heavy, which you being from PFF is very helpful to have you on, but we're going to be talking a little bit about some college production and the overall metrics to start off, and then we'll dive a little bit into the situation going forward. So looking at them, they're pretty similar height, weight, breakdown wise. So you have Terrace Marshall coming in at 6'2", Nico Collins a little bit bigger actually at 6'3.5", almost 6'4", and they're right around that 2'10 range apiece. Um, They're both young wide receivers sitting at 21 and 22 respectively. And their draft capital, like I said, wasn't first round. But just because Terrence Marshall was drafted ahead of Nico Collins for me doesn't mean that the importance of that draft capital is otherworldly. For me, the fact that the Houston Texans traded back up into the third round when they didn't have any of their picks until the fifth round going into this draft to get their guy Nico Collins after their first selection for me is all I needed to see. They're trying to fill a role that they haven't had. So as you know, there's a lot of smaller slot guys basically playing every wide receiver position for the Houston Texans last year since DeAndre Hopkins left. So how do you feel about Nico Collins' draft capital in comparison to Terrace Marshall? Do you have a big issue with it? Are you excited about where he got taken? Just let me know what you're thinking.
1: So when it comes down to the draft capital, I, I do think it matters a little bit more than you think. That's my opinion with Terrace Mm -hmm. Marshall specifically. So during the pre-draft process, he was rumored to be a back end first round pick. So I was a little bit shocked to kind of see him fall out of the first round. And what I believe was a Peter King report that had come out that the Ravens were honing on, honing in on Terrace Marshall. And they obviously ended up taking Rashad Bateman, but they were honing in on Terrace Marshall. But then there was an injury concern thing that came up. And that's really why he ended up falling toward till the second round. So I think that's important to, again, it's hard to remember these things when you like look back and you say, Oh, well, he was taking this place. Like we don't always remember, Oh, why did this player fall? Because, Oh, you know, there was this off season thing or this off the field issue. And, And that's what I remember about Marshall was, I remember mocking him as a first round pick and all the NFL draft, NFL draft mocks that I did. And then I remember taking him out because of the updated information. And, So that's why I wasn't surprised when he didn't go in the first round, but he I think has first round talent. So there is a little bit of discrepancy between the two players for me
0: in that case. Yeah. And that makes sense. Um, The discrepancy, obviously no one was mocking Nico Collins in the first round and no one can blame them for not mocking him (laughs) in the first round. When you have Shea Patterson throwing you the ball, I've watched (laughs) enough big 10 football to realize that that's not a good thing. Uh, at all. When, and when the Chiefs were flirting with the idea of him as their backup quarterback, I was like, have you not watched a single game of this man at Michigan? <laughs> yeah. And so that kind of brings it up with the ex receiver and the production that we're looking at with the two guys. Um, Terrace Marshall, when you're watching him in college, for me, is a lot more refined than what you're getting with Nico Collins. And Every time I'm watching Nico Collins' tape, I see a lot of a guy not separating, but just outbodying guys, kind of like what you saw with Jamar Chase, the smaller wide receiver, but the guy that's the catch point wide receiver in this class. Um, And it's just something where I had a hard time determining if it was that quarterback play specifically or if it was him just not being able to separate. Because, in a similar vein, kind of what we saw with um, why am I blanking out his name, Jets quarterback. Just got drafted. Help me out.
1: Wait, who is it? Who, who is it? BYU, again?
0: Jets quarterback, who just got drafted.
1: Oh, Zach Wilson.
0: Zach Wilson. There we go. See, I don't, I don't really <laughs> like Zach Wilson, so that tells you why I didn't know the name. Uh, but no, so there's a lot of talk about him um, in the same capacity as Shea Patterson kind of throwing yellow balls where I think the guy's over there on the sideline. I'm just going to throw it up 50-50 ball style, which there was a lot of that in the Michigan offense because anyone, again, who's watched the Big Ten has seen Harbaugh's offense is not really be productive. It's kind of where wide receivers and running backs all around go to die. And so when I'm watching a guy like Nico Collins, who has all the physical tools and actually was able to produce decent numbers over the last two years that he did play in a system that was abysmal with abysmal quarterback, when I compare him with the actual numbers to Terrace Marshall, they're not that different. So overall, they only played one difference in total games started between the two. So you have Terrace Marshall at 28, and you have 27 with Nico Collins. Now, the difference in that is the actual year difference in age. There was an extra year for Nico Collins but compared to Terrace Marshall. And then you had that awkward opt out this last year. But production wise, they're pretty similar as well. So Terrace Marshall ended up with almost 30 receptions more. So he's sitting at one of six over his career as compared to the 78 to Nico Collins, but their yardage was only about 150 off at 1594 to 1388. The biggest discrepancy in their overall production for me has a lot to do with the offenses that they were involved in. And that's the touchdown department. So there's that 10 more touchdowns for Terrace Marshall, as opposed to Nico Collins, that I think sets him apart. And when you're watching the film, I think it's something that you see a lot is that he's not, predicated on only those outside routes that you see Nico Collins do. You never see Nico Collins on a drag route or a slant route or a deep cross. You see him pretty much on goes, curls, and cutbacks, potentially outs. So I don't know if you have a specific opinion on the production and why they are so similar with the prospects being sought after in such a varying degree.
1: So with Nico Collins, I agree with your analysis of his struggles to create separation that was one of the reasons why really early on in the pre jeff process he was someone that i had no interest in whatsoever because i've gone through this experiment a million times before i've seen it as someone that falls page it's really close like Nikhil harry like the guy has not been able to show any separation and he's been a bust at the nfl level or whites like there's a ton of these guys that oh man the, the contested catch fiend coming in and, and that's what you have with with Nico Collins, you look at some of his numbers from 2018-2019. Second in contested catch rate, 63%. Sixth in passer rating generated, 120.8. And fourth in yards per target, 18.2. So he's making big plays, but it's because he's just outbodying guys, which we find is just harder to do when you're playing in the NFL because everyone else is now bigger than you, than, than the smaller defensive backs that you face in college. So the thing that... Changed my mind on him, or at least kind of opened me up more to him, even before he got drafted by the Texans, where there's some opportunity, which we'll get into, was the fact that his, 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 uh, at the pro day, like his performance at the pro day was very eye opening to me because he showed a lot more athleticism and speed and quickness that you wouldn't expect to necessarily see from a guy who can't separate. And again, we haven't seen him play in over a year because he opted out of last season. So, if we see the same Nico Collins that we saw in 2019, like that's not good. (laughs) Like that, that's an issue for him. So again, I think that there's more projecting going forward because we did at least saw Terrace Marshall play last year. We got, we got the chance to see Terrace Marshall play without Jamar chase and Justin Jefferson for a small period of games. And in those games, he's pretty dominant. So, He kind of like checks off the box there where like, okay, like he wasn't just, you know, predicated, you know, we did see him play without Joe Burrow in, you know, arguably the best college football offense ever. We saw him play without those guys and we saw him still be uber productive and still catch a ton of touchdowns. I think that is really part of his skill. You look at his numbers on the outside, just strictly lined up outside 2000, since the start of 2019, he's a perfect quarterback rating when targeted 158.3. So And in in this class, like we mentioned at the top, there's not a lot of outside receivers that at all. (laughs) So for him to stand out that much for me was really appealing. Like, oh my God, like this is someone that I want to definitely target because he has an alpha profile. And the same thing goes with Nico Collins. Like he's built like an alpha, except there's just a little bit more unknown and a little bit more projecting to him. And I think that's part of the reason why we see, obviously besides the draft capital and maybe even too with the, teams that they landed on but why we're seeing a little more discrepancy in terms of their
0: adp yeah i couldn't agree with more basically with what you said on that one uh there is a lot more projection going on with nico collins and i think that has a lot to do with the ceiling versus floor comps that we'll get into in a little bit as well um I'm excited. This is the first week I do not have to dive into rushing stats for my wide receivers because (laughs) these two guys did not touch the ball in the backfield. had a couple of you reach out about that, but it's okay, guys. We're not talking about rushing stats this time. There's no Debo Samuels today that we're going to be talking about. But instead, we're going to transition into the actual situations that they're going into. So this one's actually kind of interesting to me. Um, We're going into the second year of Joe Brady in Carolina. So Terrence Marshall comes into the Joe Brady offense um, coming out of both his tenure with the Saints, where he was the uh, assistant offensive coordinator, as well as his time at LSU, making arguably, not really arguably anymore, the most prolific college offense anyone's ever seen um, that also featured our boy Terrence Marshall on it. He is coming into a familiar situation, a familiar scheme, and a overall offense that a lot of people have a glorified view of based off of Joe Brady's pedigree. But when you look at the numbers last year from Carolina, it wasn't that great. Um, He was actually a little bit below average in a lot of the offensive rankings associated with it. So they finished as the 20th ranked offense last year. The passing offense was 21st, um, which sounds surprising for many of you out there that played fantasy last year because he had three very relevant wide receivers on his team last year in Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson, and our boy DJ Moore. Since last year, Robbie Anderson is still there. DJ Moore is still there, but we've lost Curtis Samuel. So they've lost their gadgeter and they're bringing in someone that doesn't fit that gadget prototype in a guy like Terrace Marshall. So you're looking at a guy coming into an offense that last year really didn't predicate itself on targeting any one specific guy with a lot of volume. So any of the volume stats that you saw with Terrace Marshall for me, you kind of have to look at that a little bit side-eyed and squint in order to see where this massive volume is going to come. I don't think in his rookie year, he's going to be seeing the same volume that he was accustomed to really at LSU. But at the same time, his efficiency when targeted was pretty baffling to me is that specifically the 2019 year, I understand that was with Joe Burrow and all the other weapons kind of taking the coverage away, but people forget he had 13 touchdowns in 2019. He was extremely productive in the red zone and extremely productive at winning in that one-on-one contested battles on the sideline, just like you had said when targeting him extremely efficient. So How do you feel about his role in this Carolina offense in 2021 now that there is one less mouth to feed in the form of Curtis Samuel, who's now in Washington?
1: The first thing that Teddy Bridgewater mentioned when he was talking about the Panthers offense last year was they never practiced red zone. And it shows in the stats when you look at Teddy Bridgewater, specifically looking at his PFF grade, He was the league's lowest-graded quarterback inside the opponent's 20-yard line, 29.0. Practice makes perfect, Dallas. So (laughs) what do they go out and do besides signing Sam Darnold, who this isn't a Sam Darnold podcast, but I'm not a huge fan of Sam Darnold. Regardless, what do they go out and do? They sign PFF's third-highest-graded red zone target in Terrace Marshall Jr. So that's where he is going to succeed. It's going to be as a red zone guy. So that's how he's going to have to finagle his way about fewer targets in the offense. It's going to be him operating as a big threat. Again, we talked about his size already. So that's where I think it's going to be. Terrace Marshall's really going to be most involved is as a red zone guy. And again, Sam Darnold, not super excited for him in particular. Like his, you know, red zone passing grades aren't great either and people think that he can kind of bounce back with joe brady i'm a little lukewarm he can be better for sure but i mean the carolina panthers offensive line still isn't great and curtis samuel again the panthers still have a lot of vacated targets so it doesn't on the surface it doesn't look like there's like a ton of opportunity but curtis samuel did (laughs) command a lot of opportunity there they don't really utilize the tight end at least they didn't do it last year did add dan arnold so we'll see how that kind of plays out but for me It Mm -hmm. has to be for him to catch touchdowns, and that's what he did last year. That's what he did in college, and it makes a lot of sense that Joe Brady's going to scheme him up there because you look at last year, Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore combined for 18 end zone targets, and they caught a grand total of zero of them from Teddy Bridgewater (laughs) and from Philip Walker. So (laughs) that's where he's going to find his success is targeting
0: in the red zone. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The one thing that really concerns me the most about this passing volume, you said a lot about the vacated targets. Um, A large majority of that was with Curtis Samuel at 97, but Mike Davis is also gone. That means we're getting Christian McCaffrey back, and Mm -hmm. people forget just how many targets he commands. And I understand that Joe Brady hasn't gotten to work with Christian McCaffrey for a full season yet. He got two games otherworldly production tons of receptions tons of targets when he was healthy but that's something that you have to be able to basically account for where chris mccaffrey very well could get 20 percent target share if not more in the offense with joe brady so it's i know it's alluring to look at the panthers offense like we did last year saying oh three viable wide receivers like you said there's actually 200 targets total up for grabs which is wild over uh, over 35% basically of their production last year is up for grabs. But I think a large portion of that is going to end up funneling through our boy CMC when he does come back. Um, So transitioning from the Panthers, we'll look a little bit at the Tim Kelly offense with the Houston Texans. So this one is pretty interesting to me. Um, We've experienced two decently reoccurring bad seasons from the Houston Texans, but what we consider to be uh, prolific offensive showings from Deshaun Watson. Um, And a lot of that is the fact that I didn't realize how much this guy spreads the ball around. (laughs) I was looking at the actual breakdown of his target shares and they're outside of the year. And I only did two years worth of stats just to keep it more recent. But the last two years, DeAndre Hopkins received 150 targets in 2019. Other than that transition to this last year, there was only one wide receiver that saw over 55 targets and that was Brooks Cooks. And that is wild to me. The fact that you basically everyone else on the roster was just seeing 40 targets here, 40 targets there, 20 there. And it's one of those things where they're still looking for a tight end um, that they drafted another one, but it's one of those things where this offense is very interesting to me because on the surface from just the rankings sitting at higher in both overall rank over the last two years at 14th, and then pass offense over the last two years averages out to about 12th. Um, With Deshaun Watson at the helm, it moves the offense, but you never really have been able to peg who it's going to go to. Um, So like I said, when he had DeAndre Hawkins, it was a funnel target. When he had a go-to guy that could play the X and do everything – he locked on, and obviously I understand DeAndre Hopkins is a generational wide receiver. It's someone that you cannot compare to a guy like Nico Collins, but they've proven two years in a row in the middle rounds that they are looking for an ex-wide receiver. They drafted Isaiah Coulter last year in the fourth round, and they've drafted Nico Collins this year in the third round. Um, they're looking for a guy that does not fill the exact same role that you're getting with, like I said, those three wide receivers in Cooks, Cootie, and Cobb. Um, so it's just interesting to me to kind of see where he's going to fit into this offense without a large target volume. Um, he was the man when you're looking at the Michigan breakdown of stats, but I don't know if he's going to have a volume that's going to be sustainable in his first year, unless he ends up getting a rapport with his quarterback, whoever that may be. And if you want to dive a little bit into the quarterback situation, I'm game to talk about that because this is ugly right now, politics aside,
1: it is indeed ugly, these quarterback situation here with the houston texans so the way i'm looking at it is i think that's going to be Tyrod taylor probably under center to start the year and then davis mills will probably find his way in the one thing about davis mills that i've kind of picked up just kind of my research on him he likes to throw to his first read a lot that's his (laughs) shtick As he throws his first read. So it really depends on does Nico Collins emerge as his potential first read or is it Brandon Cooks or is it the tight? Like, so we're going to, mm-hmm. we're going to know quickly know once he becomes quarterback, whether it's week one, whether it's in a preseason, whatever, like that's something to pay attention to is who is he throwing the ball to? Because that's probably what the receiver is or how the target pecking is going to work with him. I actually like Nico Collins probably more with Tyrod Taylor under center. For Tyrod's season, basically, kind of fell apart last year, despite the fact that he was undefeated as as a starting quarterback. Winner. He, I, I was really excited about Mike his potential pairing with Mike Williams because when you looked at Tyrod Taylor historically, he's had a pretty good deep ball. Like he's had an affinity to throw the ball deep, and the one game he played last season, ten point eight average depth of target, which ranked top five in the NFL. Or in that week one game. And it was the big bodied guys. He was targeting Hunter Henry had eight targets. Mike Williams had eight targets. I was like, boom, yeah. let's go. Like I, I was, I was amp keen. Now I had a, had a low game and people started freaking out. Austin Eckler had like no targets because it's a mobile quarterback. So a lot of people were freaking out. I wasn't. Cause I was like, I was on Tyra Taylor. And then <laughs> obviously one thing led to another, Justin Herbert took over. He won rookie of the year. You, you know, the story And Tyra Taylor got mm-hmm. stabbed in the lung. So he was a big loser. He's in Houston now. So I do think that with Collins, though, that pairing could potentially work together because he is a big body target, like I mentioned before. So I think that Tyrod is probably actually a it's not a bad quarterback situation necessarily for Nico Collins. It's not ideal. You'd obviously want Deshaun Watson, at quarterback, any receiver would. But I don't think really it nukes the his potential. It's really about just the receivers on the Texans the other receivers that are on the Texans and I mean when you look at this list of guys all I know is my alter ego Alex Erickson is on the Houston Texans so watch out for him if he blows up this year I'm buying an Erickson jersey Texans let's go but besides that man it's 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 for to look at it it literally looks like a 2015 like dynasty roster with like Chris Conley and Randall Cobb and all these guys you're like super excited to get you're like let's get it, man. I'm ready. And you just never logged in back into your team five years or six years later. You just like left your team and now
0: it sucks. (laughs) Yeah. I'm right there with you. I got three things to say at that. That was a very subtle dig at the Houston Texans using the word nuke. When you're talking about them (laughs) very under the radar. I've caught, I caught you on that one. Uh, (laughs) The second one, when I was writing down the names of the competition for this one, I was like, all right, is there a wide receiver outside of the first four that has a name that does not start with a C as a last name. You got (laughs) Cooks, Kuti, Cobb, Conley. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And the third one, you brought up Conley. That's someone that I think is his main competition for whether or not he sees any playing time this year. Um, People forget Conley was actually pretty heavily targeted at the beginning of season last year for the Jags when they brought him in. Um, I live in KC. Um, I'm a Bears and a Chiefs fan uh, respectively between those two. And so I know him pretty well. He can fly for a big man on the outside and he has a lot of the athleticism that you're missing with a guy like Nico Collins. So if there's one guy that I see specifically on the roster hampering his ability to see target specifically in this first year, it's Chris Conley, um, especially if they're just grasping for straws with a Tyrod Taylor or even a Davis Mills. Um It probably didn't age very well. But for me personally, I had Davis Mills as my fifth-ranked quarterback going into this draft. Um, I liked him a lot, and it's a lot of projection, which I typically don't do. Um, But there's something about David Shaw in Stanford that I trust with his quarterbacks where he flat-out said Davis Mills is the best quarterback that's come through outside of Andrew since he's been there. And so granted they haven't been producing any quarterbacks that are
1: heavily not drafted. wrong.
0: So, I, know, I mean, he's not wrong guys. All right, I understand what I'm saying. Trust me, take it with a grain of salt, but I'm very interested to see how he could do. I think it is the worst situation he could possibly be thrown into to see how he can do. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, it's it's one of those things where I just feel so bad for Tyrod Taylor specifically because, like you said, his deep ball. I still can vividly see the play because I was watching this Browns game live when it happened. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that 60-yard bomb on a rope to Marquez Calloway? And just he barely caught it, like outstretched hands right in front of the goalpost. I can vividly see that memory of that game for when Tyrod was still the starter. But, uh, yeah, so I'm excited for that deep ball. Do you but, mean,
1: uh, uh, not Mark, not Marquez Callaway, you mean Antonio Callaway?
0: Antonio Callaway, yes, yes, not Marquez Callaway. Sorry, sorry. No, no I mean, it's, it's, it's okay to get your,
1: your irrelevant Callaway <laughs> receivers mixed up. <laughs>
0: Hey, he's on a practice squad somewhere, and I know where it is. It's with the Chiefs. All right. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. So it's just one of those things. Like I said, Conley is a little bit concerning for me, especially with yeah. the deep ball, like you said. But if he can break through that initial line as that third or fourth wide receiver, I personally think Randall Cobb's kind of dead. Uh, once he left Dallas, his production immediately dipped. And that was primarily due to the fact that he was playing opposite Amari Cooper and had Dak Prescott thrown in the ball. But for me, I'm very interested. I was shocked. I understand Will Fuller's no longer with the team, so they really are looking for that deep threat as well, which is why I think they brought in Conley on the cheap. But um, I thought the vacated targets was going to be quite a bit less for the Houston Texans. It's actually at 194 as compared to the 200 that are missing. So I was trying to figure out where these missing targets were coming from because it seems like it's the same core wide receiver group outside of Will Fuller. And I know he did not have 194 targets last year. Um, So it's just very intriguing to me um, as to these two situations. But if you're leaning between the two with first-year production opportunity, who are you going to lean?
1: It's tough in terms of... The first year, because again they both have some some leeway to opportunity, and really I think it goes back down to if I'm making a bet on targets, just like raw targets, like I don't care where they are on the field, like I'll probably lean towards Nico Collins. Like I think that's a safer bet to make. But in terms of fantasy points, I think Terrace Marshall could score twice as many touchdowns as Nico. Collins. I mean, Nico Collins, like how many tech? How many touchdowns the text is going to score at all? Like uh, that's one thing that we don't know. Look, I don't think Sam Darnold's good, but is he better than Sam Darnold and Davis Mills in his first year behind one of the worst – like, a, a just terrible situation? Like, probably. Like, Sam Darnold could still be the 25th quarterback in the league and not be great, but he can still help them so- score touchdowns for his receivers. So, I think that I would bank on Marshall flashing more, being more efficient, you know, kind of helping boost the offense. Like, when he's out there, he makes the offense better, whereas Nico Collins is kind of just like – Hey, like we need. I just need volume. Just like give me volume. Like he's gonna get a. He's gonna have more. I could see him having more of a Darnell Mooney esque season where he does get a lot of volume. When you look at his stats, then you're be like, wow, this guy. These numbers are not good. And yeah. oh well, his quarterback play was really bad. Like that's why. And then we'll have to go back watch the film and to actually kind of figure out, okay, what was this season about? Because the numbers aren't going necessarily be super telling from an efficiency standpoint. Whereas Terrace Marshall, I think, has more of a. Chase Claypool kind of potential to him because he has that alpha profile, and I could see him scoring, you know, being the main touchdown guy. I mean, look, DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson really aren't those guys. Like DJ Moore has never been a touchdown guy. Again, I don't know if he's like just drinking from the Julio Jones pool or something, but he's super dynamic receiver, but he just doesn't score touchdowns. And Robbie Anderson, you know, we'll see how his usage is in with Sam Darnold this time around. He didn't, you know, he wasn't like a, a main red zone guy for Darnold. So I think that. Marshall's going to score more touchdowns than Collins. So I think that at the end of the day, he could end up scoring more fantasy points, but, and and I think that's really going to like kind of give a boost to his value in dynasty long-term, especially also because Robbie Anderson is a free agent after this year. So I think that's really, that's like a big takeaway that you're going to see them probably have pretty similar numbers to kind of finish up the year, even though they kind of take two separate ways to get there. But I think in Dynasty, I think it's, a, it's not even close necessarily where you have these two players because I think Nico Collins isn't going to put up a lot of efficiencies or not people are going to be excited about him. Whereas Marshall, he's going to have really efficient numbers or more efficient numbers. And then, okay, now Robbie Anderson's gone. Okay, now he's ready to take the next step. And
0: hopefully Sam Darnold's not there anymore. So
1: that, that here's the hoping.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I couldn't agree more with the way that they'll probably get the points. Um, for me, when I'm looking at Nico Collins, I see a lot of odd and tape is what I see a guy that can't separate a guy that when he's pushed in the lineup, he will produce for you if you funnel the ball to him. So if you remember those couple of games where on Tate was the only healthy wide receiver on the Bengals two years ago, uh, he was seeing 10, 11, 12 targets a game. And he was producing for you for fantasy out of the flex. And even as a wide receiver too, I think a couple of weeks. So that's what I see a lot. When I look at a guy like Nico Collins, But when we're talking specifically with their 2021 production, that's the point I kind of wanted to dive into a little bit more. And so I teased it a little bit earlier, guys, but the draft difference in these two players is where I want to point a finger at. So when you're looking at 2021 production, Andrew had a difficult time deciphering who was going to have the most points. Um, There's a lot up in the air between the two. And that's something that you typically deal with when you have two players that are in similar ADP. But right now, in June ADP, Terrace Marshall is going as the 10th player off the board, the 110 in June ADP. Nico Collins is going as the 306. So if you're looking for a wide receiver to come in to your roster and immediately have the potential to fill in at the wide receiver position, or maybe you're just not that high on a guy like Terrace Marshall at that 110 selection and you want to go with a Trey Sermon or a different profile guy like our boy Elijah Moore with the jets. That's something that you could do. And then later on in your draft at that three Oh six, or even earlier in the second round, because we've talked about that production gap, not being that high, you could grab a guy like Nico Collins, who you know is going to have the funnel targets to him. So I'm just curious, what's your take on that two round difference when you yourself had talked about the production, really not being different.
1: I think the Marshall price, is fair i think that's where he should be priced that's kind of where i have him in my rankings i have him i believe at nine overall so the 110 whatever at back into the first round i think that's, that's fair but again i have nico collins almost a round ahead of 306 so i think that he's a strong middle of the second round pick and again if you can get him in the third round i think that makes it that much better of a deal i think that i i kind of view him he's in a tier with me with a guy with Diami Brown and Amon Ross St. Brown to an extent. So he's kind of in that tier where again, like Amon Ross St. Brown again, we're not talking about these guys specifically, but again, he's uh-huh. kind of in a similar situ- situation to Collins where he's on an offense. that doesn't have a lot of competition. So you could see him falling into a lot of targets this year and, and look, and that's the thing, you know, people will chase volume and you don't even have to even like Nico Collins because chances are, if he gets volume and does something with them, he's already gained value and then you can trade him for some, for something else. Like that's part of what you want in your roster is, is this player going to accrue value or is it going to depreciate? And Mm -hmm. from the looks of it with Nico Collins, it really looks like he's only going to be able to go up. So if you only have to spend a third round pick on him, I don't, I really don't see how he's not going to at least be worth something more than that when the season's all said and done. So really, I think it's a really win win Then you can decide, Hey, I don't really want to keep this guy. Let me trade him for a second round pick in 2022, you know, package him in a deal or something like that. I think there's a lot of options that you can weigh with Nico Collins, but I think that 306 is way too low.
0: Yeah, and I completely agree with that. Um, Maddie Big Chest, all of you listening right now definitely know who Maddie Big Chest is. Uh, Nico Collins was this guy going into the draft. Uh, I was a little apprehensive with it. And then I started looking at the situation quite a bit more after the draft and I'm starting to lean with him where I think he's being extremely under drafted, which is exactly what our boy Andrew here just said. But um, when you look at the players, similar profiles, similar college production, the situation is honestly pretty similar as well. The role that they're going to fill for their teams is wide open. They have the opportunity with a lot of vacated targets. It's just kind of your choice with your flavor of guy. So like you said, I personally lean Terrace Marshall, obviously. I'm pretty sure most people will. I just wanted to do this specific comparison, guys, to show you that the overall production between the two players as opposed to the value that you are drafting them at should not be what it is right now. So don't be that guy that lets Nico Collins pass for a third or fourth string running back at the end of your second round or a wide receiver that's not going to see high volume that you're hoping in two years sees an opportunity boost when someone leaves you need to be focusing on the guys that either are going to be funnel targets the rookie year if you're looking for a win now team or guys that have the pedigree so for me personally right there with you Terrace marshall all the way nico collins should be sneaking up draft boards. I see him going a little bit higher than the 306. I was kind of surprised when it was that big of a gap when I looked into it. Um, But I'm kind of excited to see how both of these go. I just want a resolution with the Houston Texans situation Mm -hmm. and a resolution with the Packers situation. I, like I said, I just want Aaron Rodgers gone. It's so bad (laughs) I want Deshaun Watson to just – Figure everything out. Like, if he's a bad guy, we all need to know about it. If he's not a bad guy, then get back on the field and deal with the situation. (laughs) Like, It's it's just that paradigm right now where I'm like, all right, this is frustrating. Like, I understand this is the fantasy dead season, but I am just ready for things to be set in stone. I like order. That's my thing.
1: (laughs) Well, welcome to fantasy football where there's basically no order. And after week one in the preseason when half these guys get hurt – and depth charts get thrown out the window, and we have guys playing over these guys, and it's just a freaking mess. We got Denzel Mims running with the running as the number five receiver on the Jets. What is going on? Absolute mayhem. But one last thing I want to mention about Nico yep. Collins, and going back to the archetype receiver, look, both of these guys have alpha profiles in terms of yep. their body size, their, in terms of their ability to win on the outside. So that in itself has value because there are just some receivers that are never going to be like that. They just not in their range of outcomes. Just being able to play on the outside. If you look at last season, look at the top 12 fantasy wide receivers overall last year, Tyreek Hill, Keenan Allen and Tyler Lockett were the only three receivers that played more than 50% of their snaps out of the slot. So, there is an inherent upside to just having a player that, Hey, I can win on the outside to not having slot only guys. So when you look at a Nico Collins, I think that's important to, if you went after Elijah Moore or a Rondell Moore, you know, let's say at the top of the second round or back into the first round, and you're looking to add another player, add, don't add another slot receiver, like diversify your player pool. So now you have, okay, I have this dynamic PPR guy who could maybe be more explosive. And now I have a lottery ticket alpha who he could probably do, he could do nothing. He could kind of fizzle out. He could be taking to kill Harry route and just kind of dissipate. But Nikhil Harry was either going to be an alpha or be nothing. And I think that's what you're going to get from Nico Collins. His range of outcomes, again, like you mentioned, like the floor ceiling thing is really wide, mm-hmm. but... That's what you want to chase after on a th- with a third-round rookie pick. You don't you don't want any of these crappy running backs that <laughs> in, in a terribly in a terrible running back class. Like you want the upside, Nico Collins. And if it doesn't work, okay, then you move on. Like you know why he can't separate. Okay, y- you're gonna know <laughs> after year one because he's gonna see plenty of targets. <laughs> so you're gonna know after year one whether he's got it or not. Because guys usually don't necessarily become oh I can know how to separate now because of their body type. So. I think that's just important to keep in mind about players like Nico Collins, about these bigger receivers that they are different and they can offer upside. So again, I would, I would never take Nick Amon Ross St. Brown over Nico Collins because we saw Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, play in the slot. That's where he was his best. That seems like where he's going to probably play with the lions. And he wasn't as good on the outside. I have, I I don't feel confident in his ability to play on the outside. So for me, I would, I have Nico Collins ranked ahead because of
0: his ability to play on the outside. Yeah. I agree with you on that one. Uh, In two separate drafts, I took Amari Rogers respectively, and Nico Collins, both ahead of Amon Ross St. Brown. So right there with you. Yeah, I'm right there with you on the uh, (laughs) lack of like for the guy just because of the pure volume. I'm also slightly uh, a Quintus Cephas guy. Dude,
1: Quintus (laughs) Cephas, man, I I dove into him more this week because I was doing a series of articles where I'm looking back at the 2020 class of receivers and Quintus Sevis cracked the top 20. Again, that's not like super impressive on the surface, but when you look at the class in its whole, it's it's like a pretty stacked class. So the fact that he made the list at all was impressive. And look from week one, like if you really want to know like Quintus Sevis, I mean, Dallas, I'm not sure if you've rewatched him or not, but watch Mm -hmm. his week one game where he got nine targets and was literally terrible. And watch his week 17 game. Like looks like a different dude. Like, significantly better just more comfortable in the offense and i think that's to be expected i mean the guy had never played in the preseason ever and it's like okay well you need to step in and be kenny galladay and we're going to target you nine (laughs) times you need to (laughs) you need to produce like that's a lot to ask for a fifth round rookie playing his first nfl action at all like no preseason so of course he failed like most day three picks would but we saw the growth of the player Throughout the season, so Cephas, I mean, it really wouldn't surprise me at all if he is their number one wide receiver. Bashad Perryman, Tyrell Williams, like whatever. I mean, again, the Lions' office isn't going to be exciting regardless, but Cephas, if he's on your waiver wire, I think that he's worth picking up.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so that's my thing too. Uh, the two guys we've actually talked about them have been my buys all off season. I've been picking up Darnell Mooney and Quintus Cephas everywhere. Um, they are going to be the absolute cheapest throw-ins you can get pretty much. Darno Moody's picking up some steam now just because everyone keeps retweeting that Jalen Ramsey toasting that they had on the Rams. People forget how bad of a throw Nick Foles threw for that pass. But uh, yeah, so those are my two guys this offseason. But yeah, no, I really appreciate you coming on, Andrew. Um, One last thing. If you had to basically go into a comp scenario – I know you're not huge on them. I like them just because the people like them. We got to give them what they want. For me, I'll go first, give you a little bit of time to think about it because I'm putting you on the spot. If I'm looking at Nico Collins, I'm seeing a ceiling of a guy like Marvin Jones, but a floor of a J-Jaw when I'm looking at Nico. I think that the separation is a huge issue, which is exactly what we've seen with J-Jaw, and that is a very real possibility when you look at a guy like Nico. And then when I'm looking at Terrace Marshall, I see a floor of Marvin Jones, which, again, you guys, I realize that this name is not sexy, but anyone who's had Marvin Jones on their fantasy teams knows exactly what he's doing for you. He's going to give you those middling weeks in your flex, and then he's going to have a freaking 40-point game at some point during the season that's going to win you that week every single year but that's basically my floor for him. Um, My ceiling for a guy like Terrace Marshall really is kind of what we saw last year with Chase Claypool. I think that's about the peak of what you're seeing, that high touchdown production flirting with a thousand yards, but not the true volume with currently what he's looking at unless The team that he's on loses multiple wide receivers. I think he's gotta basically become the focal point of the offense to reach anything higher than what we saw with a guy like Chase Claypool last year. What about you?
1: I think the Claypool one is spot on. I think you kind of I know I've mentioned it before on this podcast, with Claypool being a ceiling projection. Again, he blew up because he has an alpha profile. Like that's his Mm -hmm. size, speed, his athleticism. Like all these guys have that type of archetype to them archetype so i guess floor there's some Devonte parker going on too like that's oh. the real thing and, and you can look at that in a bunch of different ways because Devonte Parker's never been an elite separator but he's when paired with the correct quarterback he's still been able to thrive and be a big body receiver again not every big body receiver doesn't pan out but at the same time it's not a recipe for long-term success that's route running like one good season from a contested catch receiver can happen. We see it a lot all the time. We Devonte Parker. You know, we had a spectacular season with Ryan Fitzpatrick in 2019, and then it kind of fell apart because those players get hurt because they're not they're winning by being physical, and it's not necessarily a recipe for success long term. So I guess I'll say so Claypool or ceiling kind of for both guys. Again, you're right. There there really aren't too dramatically. There's not too much of a dramatic difference between the two so I almost kind of want to comp them very similarly and I guess another ceiling might be uh, like a T Higgins type player so bigger I would probably maybe even Nico Collins is more like T Higgins because I think that he's a little bit used more downfield than a Terrace Marshall who again I think is really more of the red Zone monster kind of player so that's kind of be some of my differences.
0: yeah uh, my only complaint with the T Higgins is T Higgins is so smooth. People don't talk about it enough. His route running is so crispy and I love it. He runs like a slot wide receiver at 6'4. And it's just well, I mean, Nico it. Collins. I mean, <laughs> look, man, nobody's seen this guy.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> like, like that's the thing. Like, because he, he could come out and be like, who the hell is this dude? Like, this is not the yeah. same guy from 2019. He, the athleticism that he showed at his pro day at least kind of backed that up. So, I, I'm really interested to see him play to see him if he's just totally different and he's faster and he's breaking guys ankles, then yeah. Okay. Maybe he can be T Higgins. Maybe he can be this downfield threat. So Nico Collins, again,
0: 3rd round. That's, that's easy money. Yeah, absolutely. All right, folks. Well, thank you for tuning in to a, another lovely Oklahoma drill with me on the rookie rundown and my boy, Andrew Erickson. Andrew, why don't you go ahead and plug anything you got going on right now? Um, Make sure to give the Twitter handle, the whole shebang, just so these people know where to follow you, where to find your content, everything like that.
1: I am over on pff.com, releasing my 2020 rookie, or not rookie, just wide receiver rankings from the 2020 wide receiver class, going through the top 20. Again, Quintus Seifus is number 20. You're going to have to read the articles to get the remaining 19 guys. Follow me on Twitter, at AndrewRexon underscore, and I'm also on TikTok. My takes have now gone video so you can find all my takes over on tiktok also at
0: andrew erickson underscore yeah if you guys haven't checked out his tiktok you need to they're crispy (laughs) he's got some some uh pretty fat beats in the background bumping most of the time so i'm always here for it i like the stats Uh, I'm on the Zeke train, I'm on everything right now So uh, thank you again Andrew For joining us, if you guys learned anything Today, it's that you need to draft Honestly both of these guys, first and second Round, go bang bang, why not, alpha Profiles, and make sure To pick up Quintus Cephas (laughs) All right, thanks guys, we'll see you next week Okay, bye $1,000 for Cool G as we call it Back home, are you at liberty To play for that, Stanley? Would you prefer To play for Smiles?